All right, welcome to the Almost Good Podcast. I'm J. David Osborne. Over on the other end of the line here is Mr. David James Keaton. Hi, Dave. Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Today we are going to be talking about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, the new Coen Brother movie that kind of... Uh, kind of blindsided me just sort of dropped on netflix out of nowhere it is it was one of those those netflix uh drive-bys they're bringing in those bigger names mm-hmm. yeah i Can did I... not expect to i think it was you texting me actually was the first that i'd ever heard of it i was like what the fuck but yeah yeah it's a it's a surprise can i first talk about the meg because how terrible it is <clears throat> sure the giant shark movie did you see it i did not no i missed that one Sucks, it sucks so bad, and it seemed like I don't know how they could have fucked that up, but they fucked it up. It's, um, I mean, you familiar with the the megalodon? Well, when I was uh, a, a younger fellow in elementary school, I read the Steve Alton book, the the Meg book. I think there were several. I think it was a series, but I read the original one because it kind of came out around uh, Jurassic Park the movie. There were a bunch of books right, like right. Uh, like Meg and I don't know if you remember Raptor Red it was a, a novel <laughs> that was from the perspective of a velociraptor there was a lot That's, of Jurassic that sounds Park amazing ad- yeah there's a lot of Jurassic it was a good book there's a lot of Jurassic Park adjacent books that came out but Meg was firmly in the scientists playing god and regretting their right. choices type right. uh, field except I think I think that the Meg was not created, but rather was discovered just by going too deep right. into the Marianas Trench or something like that. Yeah, they del- they delved too deeply. I don't remember the the giant monster trend because of our slight age gap. I remember a um, dangerous weather books trend, uh-huh, like yeah. tornadoes and hurricanes. Mm-hmm. But I do remember back in the eighties there was a book called Megalodon, and. Um, Alban's book seems to be just a straight up rip of Megalodon because this was a real trashy little paperback where, um, just like you described, they somebody goes too deep in the Mariana Trench and they find, you know, where the heated jets of water are keeping, you know, a whole ecosystem alive. There's a Megalodon down there. Um, what's great about that old book, though, is that they recruit the help of talking orcas and sharks and shit. That's pretty like, dope. Or a talking dolphin, and um, that's a much better cast of characters. I read the Altman book, and I just thought I, I read this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And except the one I read was Hell's Aquarium, which I thought was going to be based on the movie. Yeah, it has the giant underwater aquarium. But anyway, we don't need to t- spend too much time on the Meg. Just that I'm I'm just so shocked. It's it was like 150 million dollars. It looks like low rent horse shit. Right. It, it looks like sci-fi channel shit. It's apparently one of those joint Chinese productions. Oh, good. So, so that means that they're, you know, like the, a lot of those movies, they look like shit. They're expensive, but look really bad. So, and there's kind of, um, there seems to be like this understanding that movies look like shit in China uh-huh. because there's moments in this that it's just inexcusable that it's a big production and it's, and it's pandering to its masters. So the, there's always a pivotal Chinese character whenever they pay for these movies, like, sure. um, is that one way I just saw Pacific, the Pacific Rim remake had the same oh, situation. I, didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah, big Chinese production, so there's a pivotal character, and it's, it's and normally that it wouldn't matter if the movie was any good, but mm-hmm. well, I just I think I saw like a clip for the next Fantastic Beast movie, which I think I think if I'm right, Fantastic Beast is like the same 
world as Harry Potter. I don't know, right. and I don't really care to know. But I watched this little two-second clip on Instagram, and I can't help but wonder, like, these movies look like dog shit. Like They, they look, look fucking they look, terrible, They dude. look worse than... You know how back in the day, like I used to watch Indiana Jones over and over again, and they'd have the the matte paintings. So Indy yes, would like walk yes. onto a rise, and you'd see the the Maharaja's yes. temple in in matte, right? And then some like little cartoon bats would fly out. That looked better than this horse shit. So much better. And what's and there's there's an incompetence here that it only comes from people that are computer minded like if you don't have a cinema mind you probably miss these kinds of things uh-huh. but for the people that are creating these movies it's so inexcusable like just the simple fact that the reveal of this shark is in the water with nothing to kind of give it scale yeah. so imagine like when you see a picture of a of a humpback whale and it's a picture underwater you don't know how big that is sure. it, it mean it can mean so that means this giant thing it should be revealed in proportion with something on the surface because that's the only way you'll get that terror to click or to slide under somebody. It does not. It slides over somebody, but then it's shown at a distance so that it could be any size. Yeah. So that's terrible. Also, it looks like fucking garbage. It moves around so fast, so it has no weight to it. Mm-hmm. And it there's at points in this movie where it seems to stop and look around like, what's over there? <laughs> I mean, it's fucking trash, dude, and $150 million squandered. They pulled a bait and switch, too. Do you remember the preview where it slides under a bunch of people on a beat? They're swimming. Well, yes. does, it, that, does that never happen? It does happen, but okay. just like in just like in the fucking Jurassic House where you saw that giant thing mm-hmm. about to attack surfers, but you never really get that moment. Mm-hmm. They just It goes right back out to sea. This movie seems to be populated by six people, yeah. and... In a in a on a Star Trek set because it's this underwater lab, it's the cheapest piece of shit, dude. Well, I wasted about, five five ninety nine. I wasted on this. Think about think about this the the concept of size too. Um, what what really makes a horror movie good? Think of like the thing, right? Or Alien, uh-huh. right? Something little that has infected you is so uh-huh. much more effective than this giant thing. But when people become krill, basically. There, there's no stakes actually. You know, if you if you could conceivably <laughs> right. go into the thing's belly and survive, then also I kind of just to shift gears real fast. I really want somebody to do some kind of expose on the economics of Hollywood, right? Because clearly, it's that like money, any, that it's, money went somewhere. Well, right? it's like any other business though. It's I got a job recently, and the amount of time I spend fucking around on the computer. Like, I hope nobody at work listens to this, but the amount of time I spend fucking around is amazing. So you have to assume that now these companies are probably being run by startups, and these dudes spend most of their time playing, you know, air hockey and Nerf <laughs> football. You know, you put the little basket over a trash can, you know, like that guy. Like, they're doing that yeah, dude, all day. There's next level shit like that. Did I, ever, I think I told you I went to uh, Facebook headquarters and to creep around. Um, I can't uh, I can't talk exactly about what I was doing there, but I did see a lot of things that you're describing. Except instead of tabletop football, they have full size hockey nets set up nice. and slot slides coming out their windows. Dope. It's it's some crazy romper room shit. But like just like you said, they get bored. So the the old days was tabletop football. But here they've built full size toys to play. And with. I can't. I just. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine that 
And I hate to sound like, oh, I should like they should be have a taskmaster there to make sure that things go smoothly, but you can see the you can see the results on screen. You can see that tabletop tennis on <laughs> on screen there. I it's like, like that you're these... dangerously close to saying, why can't they put on a suit and go to the office? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there, dude, man. It's it's so funny. It's so funny you mentioned that. As I get older and I do kind of go to work, even though I just said that I kind of fuck around there and stuff, I do – I have this kind of like growing, begrudging respect for for people who actually just do their fucking jobs. You know what I mean? And uh, I, man, I, I hate to even for... say, say that, but just, just like getting stuff done, you know, because everybody has that coworker who just – can't seem to get it together and everybody's trying to figure out how to well here's a theory do that their work for them no I, I hear what you're saying I, you you've given me this idea that maybe the idea of going to an office and getting something done maybe it requires interactive uh, moments with other people and the fact that nowadays you go to the office to go to another computer means that you aren't really clicking over into that productive mode or something yeah that, yeah i think so maybe, and I'd love to blame that for why this movie looks like trash, because like I said, it's it looks like it's got the mentality of a video game. Yeah, it has it has no scope. It has it's it looks like it was made by people that have never been outside. Well, it, like a, a, real quick, they don't start outside. They start in a fucking Star Trek lab. Mm, they start mm-hmm. they start in the dark. They're, they don't turn the lights on in this movie until about 15 minutes in. And the whole time I'm just thinking, you can't show the fucking blue sky in the ocean to yeah. give us that scope because yeah. they don't have it because they're in a computer. They're yeah. they're living in a hard drive. Right. And I think that I think that, that actually in a way segues nicely into Buster Scruggs, right? Where whatever you might think of them, Cohen Brothers movies seem a lot of the work seems to be done on set. There's not a ton of post work being done. There's yeah. kind of an inexplicable CGI deer in there that I hated. Um, yeah. but yeah. And of course the blood effects, you know, the shooting off the finger, the, the first, uh, story is very kind of special effects heavy, I would say, but for the most part, they're, they're doing that out there in New Mexico or West Texas or wherever they are. And they're, they're shooting that on location and they're, they're really getting that sense of scope, which I think it even kind of comes through. I watched it on a, like an Apple TV, I guess. And uh, it looked, looked nice to me. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think I like you. I thought I was in trouble at first when I pushed play. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, and there was that uh, that guy was mugging it up, and and it was all whimsical, and he was wearing like the the Marty McFly version of a cowboy outfit. Mm-hmm. And I thought, is this is this that whimsical shit? Is this going to be like Three Amigos or what? Yeah. And then you kind of, I think there's a danger of naming it after your first. Uh, skit if you're yeah. doing an, an yeah. anthology show you know right. because then you think oh my god do are we gonna have buster scruggs this whole time yeah because once it you realize what it's doing um it, it gets back a lot of that goodwill that you were worried about and the first you know that first episode isn't bad it's it does have that cgi like you said it has like uh interchangeable skies like sometimes it's in a studio sometimes the sky is blue sometimes it's white mm-hmm. so there's there's that, that shakiness but but like you said later on they clearly filmed an actual wagon train mm-hmm. and you can tell you can tell yeah. that they're out, that they're outside so right. it, it opens up and that and i think there is supposed to be an artificial quality to the bookends mm-hmm. like if you notice the the two bookended stories kind of like the sin city thing mm-hmm. um are are hyper real 
you know, yeah, the, yeah. We'll, we'll get to the one at the end, but they're, they're definitely, they, those are the ones that take place in the hard drive that I'm kind of complaining about, mm-hmm. but here, the, but here it kind of works because it's an, it's an artificial, um, like bookend to the movie. So uh, basically but, the ballad of Buster Scruggs, for those of you who don't know, first of all, you should probably just, uh, go watch it. Um, because it's really, it's really difficult to avoid spoilers. I wanted to kind of rant about this for a second. It's essentially, it's six Western stories set. It's an anthology and they all kind of loosely have this idea of like death, I guess. Um, but I wanted to complain a little bit about spoilers for a minute. So if you haven't watched it, I hate to say this, but you should probably turn it off and just go watch the fucking thing. But you can spoil things so easily online, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I watched. So, oh, did, I watched it, did it get first... spoiled? It gets spoiled. He, okay, so here's here's how. Okay, not to jump too much, but I have to have my little rant for a second. Now, <laughs> I watched the first four stories um, last night. Went to bed, woke up this morning to watch the last two, and I made the mistake of going on Twitter and saying, "Oh, I liked the first four stories," and uh, somebody commented on my thing. You know, obviously. 100% not trying to spoil anything for me, but the guy said, oh, you're going to love the next one. It's really heartbreaking, right? Uh. Now, here's the thing, dude. <laughs> it's like th- what happens and it comes so out of left field, and it is it was still very affecting, but I had this word heartbreaking in the back of my head. You know what I mean? And I would have loved for that to have just unfolded. You know, I, I kind of wish if I could go back, I would have told myself, just power through, watch the last two so that you can kind of see that one fresh. But that one word heartbreaking right. changes everything. You know, you're, it, you're not able to see it fresh. It does. You know, it's, it's ironic that I had a movie spoiled for me by the Coen brothers themselves in a similar fashion because of one word. And I, when I went to see uh, the man who wasn't there, is that, yeah. his, is that uh, the, right. the man who wasn't there? Um, It comes up before the movie. There's the R rating, you know, block. Mm -hmm. And it says R rated for a single act of violence. Right. And I thought, motherfucker. (laughs) Now now I'm going to be waiting for that single act of violence. And when it happens, I'll know I'll never get another. So it's it's the worst thing they could have said. And, you know, they're famous for having that kind of mentality, like with the Fargo and Blood Simple. Yeah, right. Sort of of based on a true story, sort of fucking with the audience. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think they did that on purpose. I don't think that had anything to do with them, really. But it it ruined the movie for me. Right. Because then I knew there was going to be no revenge. Then I knew... I could because I knew there would be one scene of violence. I knew where it had to happen and when it had to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Because you know, you know the beats of a movie. So the Coens right. fucked that one up for me themselves. Right. Right. Um, yeah. No. So okay. So we. Do you want to just go through them like one at a time? Yeah. I basically? think that we should. We're gonna have to spoil them because they're so small, and because some of them hinge on, like you said, death, and some of them are just a punchline. So we have to talk about what the joke even is, which which will reveal it. So like um, we covered the first one, right? The it's kind of a Looney Tunes uh, physics going on. There's it's a yeah. it's taking the piss on the Western unstoppable gunman. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. What I like, what I what's good about it is, um, and it kind of annoyed me because I saw people saying I have never seen a Western moment like that at the beginning when he uh, this gunfighter is so good that you know the world conspires to let him kill people effortlessly right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right uh, and they're like i've never seen anything like that and, and like d- showing the, the holes in people in a comical way sure. and i'm thinking you never saw quick and the dead because the quick and oh, the dead oh that's true yeah they did they, do that 
but you can't really fault them because there's very little daylight between Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers. They're all, they're both involved in each other's projects. Like uh, mm-hmm. crime crime wave was written by the Coens and directed by Raimi. Raimi has cameos in the Coen brothers movies. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He's, if you remember Miller's crossing, he was uh, one of the gangsters who gets shot immediately. Sam Raimi. Oh, okay, is. cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. But yeah, so it's hard. You can't fault them for, you know, being the, getting a little flavor off each other in the refrigerator, essentially. Um, so that, but the first one isn't serious. And so you're, you're off, to, you're, you're a little wobbly when the movie starts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you have anything else to say about that? First well, one? I just, I think it was a, I think it was a mistake to include it. I just, I think that. What if re- I was, what if it was at the end? What do you think would happen if it was the last thing? I, that's a really good question. Um, because I, I, I like the last one as it is. Yeah. Um, I just I can't help but think of instead of uh, you know starting off with Buster, what if it started off with you know the James Franco Western character with that great kind of flat prairie setting, standing outside of a small bank, like right. that's that's a way to open the movie, and that story is so much more in tune with where the rest of the thing goes. I think that it feels uh, just it just feels so wildly out of place, and I don't know how it could have been fit in. You know, I just, I just don't yeah. see how, I just don't see it fitting. I see that. I mean, if but it's they, a, but they it, release this on it, Netflix, I mean, you could have just had that be a standalone maybe. I mean, just right. a little standalone Well, that's the short. rumor, right? The rumor is that it was going to be a series and that it was whittled down to its best ideas. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of rumors about it, but I mean, you, you have to admit it is as out of place as that first one is, it is a hundred percent Cohen brothers. Oh, there's nothing. Like, that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with it. You but know it's what like, I mean? it's like Hudsucker Cohen's, right? Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and we want, we want no country for old men Cohen's, which we get, which is great. Right. But like, but no, but, and it has all, so many great gags in it. I loved when he stomps the table and makes Clancy <laughs> Brown shoot himself in the face. And he doesn't just do it once. He does it like three right. or four times. Just I, boom, I, I boom, love, boom. I love that philosophy of if it's funny once, it's funny three times yeah that, dude, that's that's the coens to a t though you know what i mean like they are going to drop the, like and you, they'll even have characters say words uh you know that are that they pulled from some book from 1835 and they're like we're gonna have this person say this like five times and it's gonna be yeah. great i think actually my wife she uh she looked something up she's like what word is that i don't remember what word it was but she i still don't know what an, ap- what an apothem is what is an apothem that is was that something that's also an uh, I think that might have been what she looked up. Does the woman say it? Mm-hmm. Apathem. So is it also an aphorism? I guess Man. so. That makes sense. Yeah, here, I'll look it up. Yeah, fast. I think it a pithy observation. Okay. But yeah. um, but no, with that first one, I thought, I, I even thought that the, um, that the gags were, were good. And of course, I mean, the one thing that binds this whole thing together is the cinematography right the i mean the scenery so those first few shots of buster where he's on his horse and he's going through like a gulch right and there's Mm -hmm. it's that that stone on either side and that's really where i think the kind of digital digital's finally starting to look pretty good you know Um, yeah but there's an artificial nature to the town he goes into you know it's it 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 is it reminded me of both three amigos and back to the future three and Back to the Future Three was smart because it was a, it was a movie about movie westerns that somebody it, it, it kind of like the um, Last Action Hero like Marty's 
in the movies more than he's in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so this would make kind of make sense to have it at the end. Like now, here is the artificial nature of you just read a book, you just read a, a western, you didn't uh-huh. really experience a western. But when the Coens are so good, and they do have that realism that shows up in the middle, like the moment by moment um, gold uh, foraging that was amazing. Yes. Like you're like you start thinking that they're better than the. They're better than having that ironic distance from a Western. So mm-hmm. where, so like you just said, where does that opening go? At the end, it doesn't have the bookend of the of them going literally to hell or whatever. Right. So maybe it's um, maybe it has no no place next to these. I d- I like your idea of opening with the other one though, because the other one has a little bit of whimsical nature to it. Yeah. That the, like you you fucked with the wrong bank teller. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. So and it's, in the second one, James Franco's character is a bank robber. And he uh, finds himself um, fucking with the wrong guy who essentially has this this little bank set up like a fortress and covers himself in <laughs> pots and pans and has a very Cohen Brothers Cajun rant that uh, I had to turn the <laughs> subtitles on for just to like understand yeah. what he was saying. Uh, but but then uh, he essentially he hops from sort of one noose to the next and there's this great gag towards the end where oh, his punch, the punchline go ahead where, well he well for, th- there's a guy next to him crying as they're getting the nooses put on and he looks over at him and he goes like first time you know <laughs> <laughs> which is and a, that, it's, it's great that's such a good line that i have to imagine the whole thing was constructed to make that joke yeah 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 and then i mean yeah, let's just rip through these so we can jump around a little bit. So the sure, next, yeah. the next one is Liam Neeson as a kind of skeevy, um, traveling showman who has this this fellow very uh, striking looking guy with uh, yeah. with no arms and no legs who recites poetry and apparently apparently he's just a greatest hits collection of the speeches of yeah. the era. So he has yeah. uh, Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address. Yep, and yep. Uh, he has, I think, some William Blake in there, right? Yeah, Osmandius. He's got some Bible shit. It yeah. was, it was such a. It makes me wonder if there's a commentary on pretentious literature or something. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like the way he's so cruel. The end. Well, the way that the, the that whole skit is is so dark. I knew I was good in good hands when that's that one popped up. Yeah. Because of how bleak it was. Yeah. But it started to make me wonder: Are they? are they saying something about like the pretentious nature of like the expectation of, of an audience mm-hmm. and like to, to say that a, a chicken doing math is better. Um, I don't think it's the audience, dude. I think it's a direct critique of the system cre- itself. Yeah. Or creators yeah. even a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Cause if you think about who's punished in this movie, mm-hmm. um, we'll get to the other ones, but there's, there, there, there's a lot of there's chickens and there's owls. It, it occurs to me um, just when I was thinking about it earlier, there, the steals an owl's egg. He's punished for it. Mm-hmm. The chicken chicken punishes that dude in a way. And the the woman who considers letting the dog be executed, the dog is directly responsible for what happens to her. Sure. You know? yeah. So it's like these animals that were any sort of cruelty or underestimating of animals um, pays the price against people that have big ideas. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and the Coens are no stranger to that. If you think about Barton Fink, mm-hmm. you think about um, how he, they love to punish the artist. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, no, I'll... yeah, yeah. So I think there's that. So basically, yeah, he uh, Liam Neeson's traveling um, showman character who has been displaying this uh, this uh, uh, limbless man uh, comes upon this other traveling showman who's 
drawing fantastic crowds with a chicken that can do math. <laughs> uh, and so he decides to buy the chicken and he ends up just tossing uh, the limbless man into an icy river. <laughs> which is and, it's, and it's so depressing. It's so sad. We're it's laughing. Very, it's very depressing, but, but like it's, and it's not played up for yuck yucks, you know, but no, there not. is something a little funny about the looks that they give each other because right. the, the guy, I'll call him like the bard, right? The bard knows what's going on as soon yeah. as the chicken is there. And like all of a sudden the, normally Neeson's character feeds, feeds the, the bard, right? Like, and all of a sudden, like he's not feeding him anymore. He's putting chicken feet on the ground. And so the guy sees which way the wind is blowing. <laughs> right. and he's just for the last little bit of the, of the short, he's sort of staring off into space, like knowing that his time is, right. is his, up. Yeah. His usefulness. Um, yeah. And I, I still just think it's, it's such a, a dig to, for him to, he leveled up to, to a chicken just pecking on things for, for a laugh and the crowd eats it up. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and here he is giving, like you said, the greatest hits of literature yeah. and, and the crowds are dwindling, right? Yep. The crowds, yep. nobody, nobody wants that anymore. Right. They want the, they want the math playing chicken. I guess, I guess that's true. I guess you're, you're, you have a valid point there. It is a, a little bit of dig about the, uh, well, because there's that last little knife twist too, where after the recitation of the poetry and the hits or whatever, uh, Neeson goes around with his hat out and accepts coins. And the very last one, it's dwindled down to nothing and nobody offers him any money for it. Right. right, right. And that's gotta be a direct, you know, it's like the, nobody's listening and those who are listening don't even really don't want to pay for it. What's interesting. I don't want to, I mean, this is a huge leap, but when I was looking up this movie to see whether it was supposed to be a series or was it, whether it was a standalone, I came across a quote from the Coen brothers saying uh, that they're a little disappointed that they don't have this movie being released in theaters like a normal movie. Um, but essentially they said the, the uh, studios are for Marvel movies and action franchises. And, and that's just where we are right now. And I, and I'm thinking that's gotta, be, are they, they're Liam Neeson passing around the hat, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. No. <laughs> and also, I'm, and I'm thinking about all those people when David Lynch said, you know, fuck movies, they're, they're basically a bunch of superhero shit. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, superheroes have been around forever, dude. Right. And, and it's, it's how many of these auteurs have to explain to you that they're being driven out of the theater yeah. before, before the fucking fanboys believe it before they well, believe that you you're being, you're eating all this kids meals now and yeah. because you've, you're not adults anymore, you know? Oh boy. You want to take a brief detour into Bill Maher, <laughs> Bill Maher world? <laughs> Man, I, dude, I don't know. I, I like that guy, of, that guy, the meme, the meme where it's like, where, Where's the lie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Oh my god. Oh, dude. And he says he's like, he's a human being, right? And so I'm trying this new thing out where I don't, uh, for the most part, I don't like resign one person to a little compartmentalized space in my mind where this person's a jackass or this person's an idiot or this person's mean or this person's whatever. So, I mean, Bill Maher is a person who has opinions for a living. So he's, he's going to be a, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, a little bit of column C, so on well, what, and so forth. What amazes me is that he's been, he's aligned 99.9% .9 with um, all my fellow liberals yet he doesn't, he comes down on a couple key things that makes people put him in the other column, like you said. 
Yeah. Um, well, he is, fact... he has he has a bug up his ass about Islam, right? Right. Yep. Islam's the one. Um, uh, I think that might be the, the it. Besides, lately, Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah, he said that he essentially. Let me see if you had something to add there. I'm going to look up the direct quote real fast. What did Bill Maher say about Stan Lee? Something to the effect. Didn't he relate it to Donald Trump being elected? Yeah, he essentially, yeah. He, I mean, he used a pretty dubious argument. That's it's that, that it's, was pretty so, whack. But the the general the spirit of it that hey, you know, hey, maybe all these superhero movies like maybe they're pretty fucking stupid and maybe they're junk food. Maybe they're junk food for okay, fucking Serbs. So, yeah. Okay, so here's the thing, man. Kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like as as I'm growing, I'm more admiring the people who can just keep their heads down and get the fucking work done. Who can essentially. I don't know, be grownups, you know, maybe I'm like fetishizing adulthood a little bit because I'm, I'm such a stunted case myself, but I, I really, I, I have so much disdain for people my age who are like genuine comic book nerds, right? Like people who, who kind of, can you hear me? Yeah, no, I hear you. Oh. I... I so, just when I think the thing I related to most about the Bill Maher statement, the uh, the rest of it went off the rails, and I don't agree with it. But at the beginning, when he said, "I stopped reading comic books when I grew up," and I know that was just because it's my experience doesn't mean it's everybody's experience. Mm -hmm. But I also did that, and I also went back and I found a couple diamonds in the rough. But essentially, it's kid shit, and kid shit can be enjoyed by adults, sure. But I see what he's saying. You know, it is squeezing out dangerous, interesting movies because when you have a superhero film, you have a very cut and dry. I mean, unless we we could talk about the ones that deviate, mm -hmm. you know, like like Watchmen was pretty dark and and did some interesting things. But still, right. they all they all feel like they ca they do an expected thing. And I watched the movie L the other night. Um, Love Paul, that movie. It's great. Paul, yeah, Paul Verhoeven's sort of comeback, mm -hmm. and I thought, and it, because it's a, it's a Dutch movie. Uh, well, it's a Dutch. He's a Dutch Frenchman, but it's a French movie, um, French German movie. It's very weird. A lot going mm -hmm. on there. But yeah. what's what's telling is that there's no Americans involved because Americans don't mess with adult movies anymore, and that is 100%. It's got its flaws, but it is a dangerous, interesting movie that we don't make anymore. Right. Right. And I wanted I to see that in the I, theater. I had to see it. I had to see it just because it's so interesting. And like the one it's, it's gross and it makes mm -hmm. you feel weird and mm -hmm. it's taking chances. And um, I know there's movies like that out there. I know this is a huge generalization, but you know, are you gonna believe uh David Lynch and the Cohen brothers? Mm -hmm. Or are you gonna are you gonna keep insisting that this kid's stuff isn't choking off other voices? Well, and it's like, and people, I can already hear what the argument against it is. And the argument against it is comic books have taught people how to read. Okay, that's a fair point. Uh, that's a, something that you do when you're a child, right? Uh, sure. Comic books also, like, they they help people. There's this idea there's a as... There's a literacy narrative, but sorry. There, uh, there's a, I actually teach a literacy narrative by Sher Sherman Alexie about a Superman comic. That's It's an amazing little piece yeah and it's all about the you know the power of comics at mm -hmm. the right age <laughs> sure and i'm like but see this is my exact point man it's like there's also a, a profound power in blues clues and sesame street and barney <laughs> you know what i mean but it's like but do you think that maybe there's just just maybe it might not be a good idea to like go into adulthood and still be concerned about 
who who Thanos killed in the in the last Infinity War. You know, exactly. Like, dude, my, exactly. I'm just I'm just leaving that point there. But I am, just like I am, that I am happy dude. to see I am happy to see that the Coen brothers and Lynch have even though they've resigned themselves in a way to it. I mean, like Lynch is already planning his next movie, which I'm sure. stoked on. Coen Brothers movie was new, it rocked. So yeah, they haven't that's been, cool. They haven't been stopped, but they haven't been stopped because they're titans, you know. They are they are the you know, they're successful and they're also critically acclaimed and they're 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 an interesting combination. But imagine the people like um you know, like uh, sorry to bother you, that guy. Um he's going to have a uh, are we going to see a lot of movies from him because we're lucky we got that first one. Yeah, right. He's, he's battling something that the, that maybe Lynch and uh, Coen Brothers can sidestep pretty easily, which right. is this. this um, well, there's this, there's this. What about real, these young there's voices? This real con- it, well, what you're bringing up is this super important contradiction, and it's one of the major problems that happens when you turn these kind of things like these sort of major capitalist enterprises into identitarian triumphs is that you end up with, you end up with this thing where you're like, okay, great. Now we have a superhero movie where the main character is black and everybody on screen is black and it's great for black people, I guess. But it's like the existence of that film is choking off the ability are you talking about are you talking about boomerang because that was a pretty sweet movie (laughs) everybody was black he was certainly a superhero he fucked everyone in that movie but it's like but but it's like but basically but like the the fact that that movie exists is choking off these different avenues that a lot of the great indie black filmmakers of the past were able to use to get their stuff done right and so there's just this great cutoff between the actual practical on the ground helping people get somewhere and this idea that we can we can sacrifice all of that as long as there is large scale representation on a mass produced product you know yeah and I that's, that's the bargain some... that was made i guess i, I want to go to the theater and have that moment like when i saw wild at heart for the first time in the theater and thought this is dangerous stuff this is mm-hmm. and i would have you know i would like to go see l in the theater but it was i did fucking... I did see it in theater. I, I missed the boat on that, and that's and people can't convince me that it's not because we're getting choked off by kids' shit. If you look at the, I had to go find it at a little hipster theater. I was living in Portland at the time. I had to go to like a hipster theater to go see it. You know. Yeah, um, and it's and the people that are making the argument that there's plenty of stuff. I, I don't know. I can't help but notice they're almost all bootleggers. They're all mysteriously watching these movies the instant they come out, but uh, don't you know they're not theater goers. <laughs> It's just it's it's a it's kid stuff for people watching it on their fucking Apple Watch. I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. cinema. Somebody from cinema's like when, when somebody from like middle of nowhere, Texas, the day like an indie movie pops out, they're like, "Oh, that was great." I'm like, "How did you see that?" Oh, you know, know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, I'm with you. I agree. It's a little little mysterious. Anyhow, well, moving we on. Sh- we we jumped the rails there, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. That's all right, though. That's what Almost Good's all about, baby. All right, so moving on to part four, which it's, yeah, we it's covered... neck and neck for me, man. Uh, part four so wait, and part we, five. To... Go which ahead. Which one are we on? We did the uh, we did Franco's, the Oxbow incident kind of yeah. knockoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did Legless, an armless guy. Yep. So now we're on to Tom Waits. Okay, okay. I was... Uh, for some reason, I thought there was one in between there. No, no, it goes Buster Scruggs, uh, James Franco, it, and then Liam Neeson is three. Tom Waits is four. The the um, 
the best one is five. And then that's the, right. Okay. And yeah. The little I've... stagecoach, uh, everything that the hateful eight wishes that it was. Oh, um, out. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, so part four, part four and part five are easily like neck and neck for me because as oh, you I know, thought of you. I thought I'm a of you, huge, dude. I'm a huge fan of people just kind of doing stuff. People doing shit. As soon as he started, he was counting all the gold dust, and then he was. It was all. Very, it was very. Uh, um, there will be blood. Like the opening mm-hmm. of that, where nobody's talking, they're just working. Yep. And I thought, I thought, I imagined you like going to a window and feeling like a disturbance in the force. <laughs> like I feel like people are doing things on film and they're not talking. And it's a great. Little, little little bit of breeze came through, and you're like, Tom Waits is looking for gold on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I again, dude. There, there are two bit. There are two bits in this. There's this one and the next one that we'll talk about. That really could have just been full movies for me. Like they could have just been like the the Tom Waits one. I feel like they could have figured out a way to make another hour of that. Um, maybe somewhere else, you know. Like because I mean, once he gets his gold, that's the beginning of a movie right there. You know what right. I mean? Like, so Tom Waits is a panhandler. He's a he's literally he looks like the old prospector that Will Ferrell played on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> uh, and he's he's just a prospector who comes upon this incredibly lush, beautiful landscape, and proceeds to fill it full of holes, uh, digging for gold that he sure is in the hills, right? right? And then he finally finds it, gets shot in the back. And there's this great sequence where the guy who shot him, the guy who's been camping on his trail waiting to steal his gold, sits down, rolls an entire cigarette, lights it, watches as the blood spreads out from the wound of the shot he just did, finally puts the cigarette out, jumps down into the hole, and then boom, like Tom, Tom Waits' his prospector character spins around, they fight, he shoots him in the face. Anyway... Once he gets that gold, though, don't you agree? Like that's the, like he's a guy. He's an old dude with a with a bullet wound. He's he's probably dying now. He has to like make his way back into town right. with this thing full of gold. That's a whole fucking movie right there. Right, dude. but but also it's one of those endings that I really like. Like um, uh, Killing Zoe had that ending or had that moment and uh did you see black sea the sub movie where they find the gold no the not the nazi gold dude you need to watch that immediately because hmm. it's all it's imagine this gold canyon uh episode of this movie stretched out to feature length except there's a lot of arguing but the idea of in killing zoe you might remember it more distinctly once they get the gold once they get their hands on it mm-hmm. they're in they're in a position where they're doomed and they know they're doomed, but the guy who who's running the show never thought past the moment when he got his hands on it. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have a way out. Right. He just, I mean, I guess he did, but to him, it's like, no, don't you? He didn't. I don't know if he says these words, but I felt the moment of we've accomplished it. We did yeah. what we set out to do. We've uh-huh. got it. We're sitting on it now. We're we're sure. touching it. Yeah. And that's kind of what the Tom Waits thing felt like to me. Like that's all he had to do. The rest of it, you know, nothing ends up the way you want it. Um, but to, just to get to the moment when you have that windfall, and the, that submarine movie Black Sea has a moment like that, which is amazing. Where it's just, it's all you got to do is get to it and then mm-hmm. fuck everything else. Let the cops come busting in. Let the thing, the plan go to shit. It's like I did this much. No one else did this much. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if I have a ton more to add because it is such a kind of sparse, meditative well, the, thing. I mean, he talks. I like the animism of it, right? I like the fact yeah. that 
there's clearly like this owl who's also kind of a spirit who sort of like takes revenge on him. I don't know if you noticed when the when the guy shoots him in the back, the owl's yep. flying in the background, which I thought was right. a really nice touch because he, he he climbs a tree and steals an owl egg, and uh, he actually says to himself, he's like, "I'll just take one." How high can an owl count anyway? <laughs> and cut, and they actually do a reaction shot of the owl, which yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. The owl like turns its head slightly. It's like, actually, I wrongly uh, predicted the the ending would be just total owl revenge when he was in the thing and he finds the gold and there's a little rustling above him. Mm-hmm. I said, I said to Amy, I'm like, oh shit, that owl's gonna tip all the dirt in on him and he's gonna get married. That's what I thought too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I thought the same thing. Yeah, but I, I that's do... all we know. We've only met the owl and, and him. Well, I guess we did see the other. But, but I, what's fun? But there's also just... the deer. The deer is a character too. The deer is kind of like, I'm getting the fuck out of here, and then comes back and sort of looks around like, damn. I think they the show world. their hand with if you read the book. You know they're closing those act that physical book when they go to the next story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find yourself like really quick reading what the store how the story ended on paper, mm-hmm. and that one's really interesting because it says uh, he packs up and he leaves the area, and I don't know the exact wording, but something to to the effect of, you know that you describe that pristine wilderness that he comes across and then right. kind of fucks it up, mm-hmm. and the, it describes it as saying like the that area. Um, is now like indifferent to whatever action had happened there before. Yeah. Which I love too. Yeah. Which is like the world will, will write itself, you know? Right. And he moves on, but the pleasures of that one are, I think happen all right before the big fight. The, I learned, I think I learned a lot about gold prospecting. Maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced I did. They're all the little moments of him making his breakfast and going to get that egg. And I think with the one right before it too, with Liam Neeson and his, in this uh, circus freak or whatever, mm-hmm. the quiet moments and the physicality of those two sequences is what I really liked. Yeah, me too. I, I like did. just watching people be physical on screen. And that, and those two, if I rewatch any of this again, I'll rewatch those two. Those mm-hmm. are the two ones. I'll. Mm-hmm. I think I'll watch that and I'll, I'll probably watch the fifth one, which we can move into just for what I thought was the, like the, the Coens have this amazing ability to do long distance action scenes, right? Mm-hmm. In a way that like their their fights are very rarely up close and personal. There's the in True Grit, there's that climax where they're uh, charging towards each other on horses and shooting, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. there's uh, No Country for Old Men with the dog. Remember that sequence with the dog? Oh, the opening sequence with the dog is is just like these two skits. As far as uh, they're just they're good directors, you know, they can yeah. give us visual information in an engaging way. And that was amazing with the little shark dog head coming at him and he's trying to blow yeah. the blow yeah. the uh, water out of his gun. Yeah. That's that stuff's better than most directors even come close to. Yeah, and so in this one it is about a woman who is headed on the Oregon Trail to maybe marry a guy with her brother. Brother dies of I guess tuberculosis, looks like. Yeah, um, let me ask you let me ask you real quick, um, because it started off so lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. It, it's deceptive that way. It kind of lulls you into a false sense of security. Um, and it's definitely the if this was a short story collection, that would be the novella. We're coming yeah. to the big the right. big story. Right. Uh, I actually missed something at the beginning. Did so she was at a hotel and somebody there had tuberculosis, but they were in denial about it. Is That's that what was going right. On? I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. And the woman is saying we don't have people who have coughs in here or whatever. That's true. I, di- I didn't. I, I'm really bad at making those connections. 
I wasn't sure what the importance of that was because I didn't, honestly, I didn't start paying attention until he died. And then people said, or no, I started paying attention when they said, is that your dog? We can't have that dog barking the whole time. And I thought, oh no, the Coens have been cruel to animals in the past. Mm -hmm. Those poor, poor cats. And what's the, the singer movie, the black and white singer movie he did. Um, Uh, Oh, uh, inside Lewin Davis. Yeah, the, the 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 cats were so that was so sad with the cat thing, mm-hmm. and um, so I thought that fucking dog is doomed. Um, right, and so I so I was on the edge of my seat at that point. Well, they have they and the this novella portion ha- does everything that they do so well. I just want them, I think, to make westerns for the rest of their careers. I love the way that people talk in these things. I love that they don't use contractions and that there's just this kind of so it goes grumble to these you know people who are on the frontier like i love the character of mr arthur who's the sort of stage hand who's just sort of doesn't give a shit about anything but what's going on like right in front of him he's a very zen character yeah um, and, he gets, and he gets to shine in that too doesn't he? he does he becomes a complete badass at the end of it so basically um it has probably one of the most unique romances on screen which had to have happened so often on the on the western frontier which is this kind of marriage of convenience right once her brother dies one of the stagehands uh has a crush on her and in a very polite not skeevy way at all suggests hey maybe we should get married i'm lonely and we could because maybe it makes make this yeah, work life could be easier and happier that way and it doesn't have to be a big sweeping romance and they're not fall they don't fall head over heels in love for each other but they have a very quiet moment before the shit hits the fan obviously they have this very quiet moment where they just kind of connect you know and that's that's all it takes really and it felt that felt very um true to me like that felt like that's how probably how most of our grandparents met or our great-grandparents rather maybe our great-great-grandparents you know Mm -hmm. um my family goes way back but it probably was (laughs) never really like like you said a sweeping romance you know what i mean it was probably Mm -hmm. like all right Let's let's do this thing, and the best you can hope for is that you meet a nice person. So, after that happens, of and course, and compared to sleeping on the ground for what does he say for decades, that's got to sound pretty amazing. Yeah, and so as you said, the same way the owl gets its revenge, she agrees to have the dog put down. Which the, <laughs> uh, the guy's name is Billy Knapp is the love interest guy. He fails to put the dog down, and the dog is sort of on the perimeter of their uh, wagon trail for the majority of the time haunting it haunting Haunting. it yeah (laughs) and then of course it comes back and gets its revenge by luring her way off the trail so not the love interest but the sort of grizzled old zen guy goes and finds her and realizes that they are have found themselves completely fucked uh and that there's a, a team of native dudes on the on the hill on horseback who uh see that they are completely defenseless essentially even though they're not but then what do you think about i feel like it was in the same way an old western is uh tiptoeing around that racism Mm. um the uh the native americans in this movie don't come off very very noble right i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up because i found an article called the blinding whiteness of buster scruggs (laughs) so look at that so we can back we can uh, we can just sort of uh, back right into that trap, can't we? You know, the thing is, man, 
they do call him savages and they do uh he does yes. make a comment like he's like and they yes. can't fight <laughs> yes. And, yes and then he proceeds to show us that they can't fight yes um all of that is valid i am not interested in refuting at all that this movie's a little like actually not a little very tone deaf when it comes to native people um i will also say that i take a lot of that it feels like to me, and this might just be the fact that I love the Coen brothers, it feels like there's more of a wink and a nudge towards the the white people and the way that they use these kind of terms than, I don't know. But the, I wonder if... They're very matter-of-fact, right? They're very matter-of-fact. Yeah. Is, is that why they keep the first uh, skit with its artificial nature? Because mm-hmm. then they it kind of gives them an out to mm-hmm. say, you are watching a movie Western. You're not watching history. You're watching. We can't have a revisionist uh, moment with the, 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 you know, the the savage Indians because yeah. that's not. We're we're in we're firmly in Western trope land. Sure. We have we have the hangings gone wrong. We have the um the we have a wagon train. We have the um the fucking the gunfighter that can't be stopped. Even though it it, it kind of like with uh with Tarantino's Death Proof where. He was supposed to make something that was full of uh, scratches and pops and mm-hmm. missing reels. If you watch Death Proof as compared to the other half of that double feature, he can't help but clean it up, and it becomes mm-hmm. a real movie. All the all those uh, flaws go away, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and kind of a reversal with the Coen Brothers. They come out, they start off with their tongue in their cheek, and and they're like taking a big piss on the Western tropes, but they can't help but make a real movie in the middle of it. So does that mean that the the native American uh, cliches have to, um, they sit uneasily because they've, they've, they have some real moments, you know, and when it's, when it's not just satire or when it's not just looking at it from a distance or a, a movie Western, you start to think to yourself the same things that I didn't read the article you're talking about, mm-hmm. but I imagine it made them start to think, where are we now? Are we in history? Yeah. Yeah. Are we in history? Are we up on the screen and we're, we're still, you know, playing with these tropes. Yeah. Well, here's a quote from the article, right? Uh, He's talking about the movie here. The natives are not people. They are merely a force of nature, objects of violence to be thrown at a plot point that seems to spell the end for Franco's thief. They are there to remind you that they exist, that they are the harbingers of death, and that this is the West. To do otherwise would require plotting and character building, and with as many white characters as the Coens wanted to stuff into the 133 minutes Netflix allotted them, there is simply no time left. Okay, now <clears throat> I, I don't agree. I have with a problem with saying that. about. I have a problem I have a, with that. Yeah, I also have an issue with the Franco one because I thought they were actually portrayed sympathetically there. Yeah. They not not only do they inadvertently save his life. Um, so okay, if they're the if they're the weather, the weather was nice that day, right? Right. But they also when they rode up, we were watching that part and uh i i thought to myself this is great because they're they're showing the proper amount of respect the 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 native american characters are showing the proper amount of respect for the white people in that moment which is fuck all of them and then even when you get to the guy who's being punished it really isn't uh the enemy of your enemy is my friend Mm -hmm. that's they're above that you know to have them i think it would pander it would pander to them to have them let him go because that's treating them like white, mm-hmm. you know, white mm-hmm. people's uh, safety is more important than their lives or their even their consideration. I like the idea that the, they write up and they're like, we're not going to kill you because we understand the predicament. 
but we're also going to, we're going to make this joke of, you know, they whistle to make the horse move. Uh-huh, right, right, right. Def- we're going to fuck with you a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like respect, but not consideration. Yeah. Fuck yeah. you. You're on your own. That sure. I think treated them like real people. It's the second, it's the big, the, the big novella moment that treats mm-hmm. them like savages. You don't even see them up close They're They yeah. literally are just arrows going zip, 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 yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, so, so I'm going to take sort of, because I don't know what to do with this really. Um, I think that it's a valid thing to say, but I'm just, I'm not sure. I'm all for uh, getting native dudes to make native westerns. I'm all about that. Like That's, let's let's, yeah, let's sure. get them let's get them money. Let's get those movies made. Um, I think that the author of that article made a good point by saying there wasn't time. I know mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a dig, right? But but there it really would be a different movie, and it would open it would open it up in a way that it it's not prepared to do. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe if this had become a series or something like that, which right, I mean, we we can right. talk about how like okay, but why, why do the why do the white people get the first billing? It's all fair, dude. Like it's you, it's one hundred percent a fair thing. Series the, the Cohen brothers um, are interested in the other, right? They're mm-hmm. uh, the the Jewish nature of of the, uh, their other movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned a lot of in the Serious Man. Like, there's they're not immune to telling the story of the other. So you you have I have no doubt that if it was a series, there would be one, an ep, there would be many episodes of the Native American experience. I think I think it's just I think it's a great thing to think with. I think it's a thing that we have to start. But here's here's where I would pivot. It might not seem like much of a pivot, but it's my pivot. What I would like to see, um, or maybe more of a pivot to like figuring out, okay, so what do we do about it? You know what I mean? This this guy seems like a nice enough dude. He writes this article for this website, and it's like you're kind of pointing out something that is, to my mind, goes without saying. I mean, I was thinking it when I was watching the, the movie. You know what right. I mean? I feel it's like we've had. I feel like we've had. Well, and this just might be me. This is just a very, very light suggestion. We might have had enough of this kind of pointing out. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like saying, hey, anybody else notice this thing? It's like we've been noticing this since Dances with Wolves. Now, you could turn right around and you'd have every right to do well, so. Shit, you've been like, noticing, we've been noticing it since, since the original f- True Grit. Since forever. <laughs> since forever. Exactly. It's, exactly. Since it's, the searchers for Christ. You're absolutely right. And so it's like, okay, so yeah, so why aren't we fixing it? And I agree. It's like, all right, so let's talk about like how, how we fix this thing. But it's kind of like, to me, an article like this sort of reads as like, well, yeah, no shit. You know what I mean? It's like, no, no shit at all. Like, you're right. You're right. Would have to, Westerns would have to be popular enough to right. be subversive but let me, and that's let me, the Coen brothers are being a little bit subversive but they're not they don't have enough room to work with i but, think because they better go ahead i just want to point out that when you go to the comments this is what i think the problem okay. with articles like this are why would you right? why would you do that to yourself i don't know man but you go to the you go to the comments and you see all this stuff like the Cohen brothers are are racist. You you they're pieces of shit. They're yeah, this, they're, they're fucking racist. They're fucking ra- and it's like that's where I start to have a problem where I'm like, no, they're not. This is people. This is people that started with this movie probably. They, yeah. Or not, or they've never seen it. They've just read this article and they've like, ooh, another person I can call a piece of shit on the internet. All that all that is tired. I don't have a problem with this gentleman's article, and I think he brings up all the valid points. I just think that it's, it goes together with this kind of culture that we have right now where it's like, that's as far as we're going to take it. 
Plus, we're they not would, go if, any further. If the Cohen brothers had done, you know, the story of Malcolm X, they yeah. would they would be the other argument. It would be right. why are you telling our stories? Exactly. Why, um, and I shouldn't say are because it's there. a white person. That's sure. a white person that wrote that article. I, I guarantee you. He's he looks very white, but apparently I think his grandfather is part of the Osage tribe or something like that. So, yeah, I'm just I'm going to tap out at this moment. I think I, I think I think out of, just to keep it non-controversial before just, we bust out the what is the uh, one, two, three and the, the DNA pull, test, pull the pull the Elizabeth Warren. Right. Because yeah. there is a comment we... in here where it's like, dude, you're white. What, what are you talking about? And then somebody fires back in a comment like if you had bothered to do a little digging about the writer, it turns out his grandfather is is a native American. And and I'm just like, this is all, you see how silly this all gets. Yeah. I'm tapping out out too. Let's move on to (laughs) a fantastic piece of cinema. Love that they got stuck in the, uh, we haven't talked about the last one, the, uh, no, 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 no. We are, we are. I'm just going to, as a, as a last comment on the fifth part, I loved the dog holes. I love that every time one of the, Indian's uh, horse's hooves goes into a prairie dog hole and their horse flips up. The guy yells out, dog hole. Dog hole. I was a little confused about, um, apparently that's an instant death. If uh, <laughs> that might go towards that dude's article is, is it like, uh, do, does an American Indian's clock just turn off if they hit the dog hole? Cause people were just dying as soon as that happened. Um, I don't know. They're pulling a Christopher Reeves where they broke their necks, but going over the front of the horses, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as every, every dog hole moment meant the death of that particular person riding the horse. Mm-hmm. Because it the plot needed it to. That, otherwise, well, I think it would five, probably... Five people running towards him. It would probably fuck you up pretty bad. I mean, going flying yeah, from a horse at that it's speed. True. It's true, but it was kind of like the Old West where no matter where you're hit with the bullet, yeah. you just kind of, you kind of sure. turn off. Sure. Like some, somebody me, has a switch. Hold on, give me just one second. I got to use the restroom really bad. I'll be okay. right back. You there? Yeah, I was. Um, did you know it's pretty timely as far as that article you were talking about? Did you see the in the news today? A twenty-seven-year-old uh, U.S. missionary tried to uh, infiltrate a remote tribe and got riddled with arrows. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I guess he'd been. He'd been to the island a couple of times. I don't know the name of the tribe, but it's that tribe where it's illegal to photograph them. And there's sure, only yeah. there's only like 50 of them left because um, mm-hmm. it's it's a very remote spot. But they've never had really communication with the outside world. Uh-huh. But uh, um, they've taken shots at anybody that approaches the island. Uh-huh. And, and this dude was like, well, but they haven't met Jesus. <laughs> that is absolute. That is the feel good story of the day. It I is. Think. It is. Yeah, I guess he wrote. He rolled up in a canoe by himself. Was the last the last he was seen, but somebody said uh, apparently he hit the beach and was immediately riddled with arrows. <laughs> and and the people, the I guess the locals that had uh, that chartered the canoe for him or something, they they found the body. <laughs> <laughs> they found the body anyway. So Just score score one score Just one for the alone. quote for the quote savages yeah Score, exactly Score. dude and it's just like and that's that in in and of itself is kind of such a lesson and i was i was thinking about this very briefly and i do i do want to i don't want to touch on the guy's ethnicity i don't want to bag on him for because he, he's trying to do a good thing but i do want to just kind of say that you know movies are obviously many many different things and i think it's healthy and important to think with the idea of hey in this movie uh, kind of no native representation, and the the one that is is you know not very flattering. Um, I would maybe even quibble with 
saying that, but let's just say for the sake of argument that that's the case. But it's one of those things where I'm t- the throwing the baby out with the bathwater has got to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, and because you're – and there's two things about the Coens is why it's such a bad target. First of all, they're, they're, the, they're the kind of filmmaker that a lot of people um, would probably rightfully call like people that make movies about movies. Yeah. So they're not really um, interested in telling the truth about anything. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it's probably safe to say that their movies are white as snow. They are very yeah, white are. movies. Mm-hmm. But do you want them to tell that story? Because well, they're I think Jewish too. Generally. Yeah, they are. It's true, true. But I think it's a mistake to assume that their movies that are very, very white are not critical of those white people. Their movies are so bleak as far as the human condition of exactly. the white of the white race. You know what I'm saying? That's what this movie is so much about too. Yeah, it's about like, like how America, why America even, is the way it is now. Because I feel like the Coens have their house in order when it comes to making white people look bad. So what's the, <laughs> what's the fucking problem? That's a that's a fantastic point and one that kind of briefly occurred to me, but I wasn't able to quite put it into words like that. Um, there's two more things that I want to touch on in this podcast. The first is obviously the last part of it. Um, and don't let me forget after that, I want to link it to short story anthologies. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I, I just, I just didn't want to forget that. So I wanted to put sure. that in your head. Um, all right. So the sixth part is, uh, like I said, those long drawn out sequences in the hateful eight in the, uh, in the carriages <laughs> where people are just talking about nothing. This is how you do that correctly, right? This is, I don't even know the word to use for it, but as far as like being a short play, um, there's a stagecoach. It was very stage. It was very stagey. Yeah. So there's a, there's a stagecoach going to a hotel and there's a Frenchman, a woman who's married to a doctor who's going to see the doctor who she hasn't seen in years. There is a grizzled old fur trapper who talks too much. And then there are two fantastic bounty hunters. There's a, it's basically, it's a representation of all people. Except minorities. Yeah, there's no minorities in there. Yeah. Again. Well, we don't know. Maybe the the guy driving the coach, the the demon driving the coach. Yeah. Right. Right. No, stop. it's yeah, it's it's it is a cross section of white America at that time. Um, but so that the way that it the dialogue just flows into itself, and the way that it escalates, and how everybody's this kind of fully drawn character, even in this in this short short space of time this 20 minutes like again this is i think actually i'm going to amend it cuz i think the last 3 could have been movies the last one in particular because when they're about to go into that hotel and the bounty hunters are carrying the corpse of their latest uh uh bounty up the stairs that mm-hmm. feels like it could be a movie in and of itself right there you know well but they are but that's i mean that's the afterlife. They're dead. Like, do you want to see a, a defending your life depiction of the afterlife? Oh wait, are they like, dead? They're dead in this. I that's I took it that I took it that way. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I I assumed that it was like the on the river sticks. They paid the ferryman. Like, because oh. remember the the bounty hunters say, "Don't call us bounty hunters. We're reapers. We deliver souls and shit." Oh. So, and there's and you'll notice that there's um. All there, just like the, you pointed out with the movies, all about death. Like on that carriage, there's all this death talk. Mm. She, the woman goes hysterical when she starts to. It starts to dawn on her maybe that that's mm. where that's where they're going, and 
if you and the, the other clue, and I actually rewound this when Amy and I were watching, and I said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute," because mm-hmm. we weren't we weren't sure that's where it was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get to the doors. If you look on the doors, there's uh, one of the little knockers is uh, an angel, and one's, little, one's a goat little, devil thing. Yep, little devil. So they're yeah, so they're dead. I think that they're that's oh. what, and it fits the kind of supernatural artificial beginning. It's like the movie's bookended with these supernatural. I movies. see. I, that makes me like it more. That makes me. So I did not get that. Yeah, that it's, went it's over some my like, head. It's some Hotel California shit, dude. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. That makes that makes me think. Well, then, yeah, because then these these people are all just like kind of talking about the lives they've lived. You know, right. like right. the woman let, led this quietly desperate life. The trapper was just kind of boring. He just sort of trapped stuff. He's like, I just made traps. I was kind of busy making traps. His life passed him by. While he was busy just right. being it's a like trapper. That, it's but like what about the terrible... French guy? Like what what's his deal? Like he he just um, was an asshole he, or what? Was he the uh he was the one of the third people on the other side of the Yeah, he's the, the one marriage. who's like telling the woman all about like, Oh, your family didn't love you and your husband doesn't actually yeah, love I you. Think, I think it's because the woman had such a binary view of good and evil, you know? Mm-hmm. She was a typical good Christian type. So it's kind of some Flannery O'Connor shit going on there where it's, you know, or the, or like that parable, you know, where, where people where there's a guy in prison who's a murderer and next to him is a guy who didn't kill anybody. And it's like you right. you you end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've done this to this code and we've done and I've done this and it's all meaningless. Doesn't the trapper sum it up the best? He says something like uh, he's been killing all these animals and people are essentially animals. Hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's it's just that the whole thing is a big thesis about you all end up in the same place. It's kind of a Maybe. big, like no exit on a stagecoach, basically like that, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I liked it. Uh, I thought that it was a fine note to end on. Uh, I really like the creepy bounty hunter who's talking about how he likes to see the light go out in people's eyes. And yeah, he's, he's, yeah, that part was great. He was, he I, was hamming it up. We don't have to talk a lot about it, but I kind of want to stick up for the hateful eight stagecoach stuff because you didn't like when they're talking about the Lincoln letter and they're punching people out into the snow and like he, he tried to wring a lot of drama out of out of a taxi ride essentially. Uh, you're not a I don't, we never talked about hateful eight. You're not a fan of that one? No, definitely not. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I think uh, Tarantino is great when he's I think well he just is he is talky. It, it's tautological to say that that that. You know, Tarantino's talky. But I, I do think when you say ring it out, I just don't think he had that much to talk about in Hateful Eight. And I think he was stretching it. I think that, like, the set pieces in Inglorious Bastards, for example, really lent themselves to that talkiness, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, where I, I just I just didn't... Well, the whole movie to me is flawed because it shouldn't have been... There shouldn't have been a flashback. We should have known right from the beginning who the players were. You know, we we have okay. all these characters walking around these these literal Chekhov's Chekhov's guns walking around, mm. and for the first half of the movie, we don't know who is good and who is bad. And I think that while there might be something interesting about finding that stuff out, if we had just known that the way that we knew that Tim Roth's character was a double agent in Reservoir Dogs, it adds mm-hmm. that much. It would have added that much more to the entire movie because we, we would have been wondering who's going to poison whom. Oh my God, that, right. that's a bad guy. Like he doesn't. He know we know it, but he doesn't know it. So I just I think that the structure of the movie it made it it made a clip, critical error there, like right at the very beginning. But I see what you're saying. I have to watch it again to to get exactly what you're saying. I 
I cut it a lot of slack. I would put it at the in my list of favorites. I'd put it towards the bottom. Mm-hmm. But I but I also saw it in seventy millimeter. So, I did too. And I and that didn't justify it because I kept thinking only only somebody as perverse as him would make a movie in seventy millimeter and then not go outside. Yes. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. You know. So I was a little frustrated, but I was also it was indulgent in its own way. Like where 70 millimeter is indulgent of just soaking it up the visuals. Mm -hmm. This was him. This was him. um, He's able to do whatever he wants now. Nobody has any restraint over him. And he wanted to talk the fuck out of that movie. He did. And, and I was with a very uncomfortable group of people. Mm -hmm. So we went, you know, there's that nice intermission where you get to go to the, to the uh, lobby right after you watch somebody force someone to suck somebody's dick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> and so, so, he, so he sends people to the lobby after that. And I thought, okay, I got to give you some credit for that because nobody's talking to each other. Nobody's lighting a cigarette and, and talking about that moment because they really were put off by it. Yeah. So, yeah. so my, my enjoyment of it was a theatrical enjoyment, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Watching it at home. I've yet to watch it at home. And I imagine that some the same way that Death Proof becomes almost unwatchable at home, the the same way you don't have the event of the Grindhouse double feature, Death Proof becomes a, an indulgent talk fest. Mm-hmm. I probably will start. It'll probably start to fall apart on well, me. Well, I mean, Grindhouse fell apart for me when because I went to go see it twice in theaters, right? And it really was just it's diminishing returns every time you watch that movie. Unlike it's, Jackie Brown or Pulp Fiction or whatever, where you could just right. watch those movies whenever. So, so what you're saying is, Hateful Eight is diminishing returns when you when you let him. You can only let him have your ear all night once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least that's the way it seems to me now. I'll, of he's, course, he's I'll like be there the, for the next one. I'll that be there movie for is like one. the. It's like the Burkean parlor, right? The the idea that, uh, you know, you should make an argument after you you listen to the the party has been going on, the conversation is going on, you come into the party, you listen to what's being said, then you add your point of view. Hateful Eight's kind of like that, where I I feel like it's this ongoing. This is Tarantino's brain, and he's never shut up. Mm-hmm. And we've we walked into it for a minute, yeah. And that's what's that's what's happening in his in his fevered brain, is this this debate about movies about westerns about mm-hmm. pulp about uh, you know crime and he tried maybe he tried and failed to do a legitimate mystery you're saying you were frustrated with the locked room mystery aspect of poisoning people and um yeah and it's like i just I, you know at, at some point i feel like everything doesn't have to be a monologue you know i feel like yeah. he's he, really indulgent with those in if that he's movie. able if he if he could just every once in a while just have people say something to each other without mm-hmm. it being this like this and that's grand where he started flourish. it's he like, started ugh. out that's what's crazy is he started out with people that blew everybody's minds that he made realistic dialogue a thing mm-hmm. and now it's now his big speeches have made it as artificial as anything you know mm-hmm. uh, whereas i but feel I like st- i feel like in django which is a massively superior movie he does do that right where it's not constant speechifying over i did over like his on the mystery level, I did like the fact that a lot of it hinged on the stew and what the stew tasted like. Oh yeah, I, I thought that was fun just because of 
I'm a big fan of his two most flawed movies, the moments when people are eating. Mm. I love when they're chowing on that stew. It makes me so hungry, even though it's probably supposed to be off-putting that those close-ups of the mouths. Mm -hmm. The same with Death Proof, with him eating those nachos, man. When Kurt Russell's eating those nachos, that looks delicious. And I think it, I think it's supposed to be gross, but it's, it looks delicious, uh, doesn't it? grosses me. No, it grosses me out. I can't, uh, I can't stand watching people eat, dude. I think that might be the, you know, the metaphor for Tarantino. Like, mm. I'm watching those words roll out of those mouths like those people eating those nachos and eat, eating that stew if you like it if you want a close-up of those words getting chopped him chewing the scenery like that uh, then it's, maybe he's for you i don't know man I, and I, I think i also i did have an i basically my whole point with the short story anthologies why they m might not work and why buster scruggs it didn't every i enjoyed every single story individually but man i have a hard time resetting each time you know well, what i mean it's got me really worried because I just had a short story collection come out. And if I follow you, you're saying that that's why short story collections are notoriously difficult to sell or because mm -hmm. re re readers don't want to reset. Is that what's happening? It's just, the, yeah, it's the constant beginning, you know, it's the, it's the end begin end begin instead of like, I don't know, development so are, are of, people of a story. fooling themselves because people always try to make the case both with short story collections and with anthology movies is like you can watch whatever you want and you can watch a little bit or come back later. But nobody really wants to do that. I don't think so, man. They, I don't think they so. Want, they want to wrap it up. <laughs> well, and, sh and short story collections, you know, notoriously sell much less than novels do, although I, d I don't really think people finish novels. Um, I think that the, I, <laughs> I think know that, that our our Facebook friends don't finish novels. They don't no, read any no. of them. Of course they, they don't. Cer they certainly buy them. They certainly yeah. stack them up and take a picture of them. But nobody, <laughs> nobody fucking reads anything. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean that might be that might be down a, down a rabbit hole there. But yeah, like the 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 restarting and and stuff is just I, and it's me completely. I think I think it's just where my head is at. I I don't like to binge watch. I don't like to beginning things. To me, is is very arduous. That's what's um, that's what's crazy, dude. Is that this movie, which is essentially a bunch of small movies. So if you if Netflix would have released it as you know a little ten minute, I know one's bigger than the other, uh -huh. but but people will let something start up. They love that, but yeah. they don't want to watch it all in one lump sitting. Like mm -hmm. I we uh, in one of my classes we watched Making a Murderer, and I have them they binge watch it at one point, and they're very they're very good at that. But when you tell them at the beginning of the quarter and I say, we're going to be watching probably 18 to 20 hours of content, their their eyes are like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm -hmm. And so to, so to make them relax, I'll say, OK, put your your hands up. How many of you have watched um, watch more than two episodes of something in a row and keep your hands up? Three episodes, four episodes, five episodes. I'll get up to 14 episodes, and that's the most that I've ever gotten to, but still like two or three hands up. Yeah. And I'll say, so you watched 14 hours of content. <laughs> In a row, in a row. And they're yeah. like, and, and I'm like, why would you do it? And they'll say, because if you know, I don't know, it's like they have some control over the, I can't, they can't even explain it. I can't explain it, but they will binge watch an entire season of Daredevil mm. without batting an eye. But if you say we're going to watch um, four or five feature length documentaries, like no, right, 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 right. But it's the, but it's less. It's less hours. But it comes. It also obviously it comes down to like what they want to watch, you know. And um, that's why this this movie felt like it was four hours long, even though mm -hmm. it was just some very manageable snippets right. of story. It felt really. I long. wish. I wish. I wish. I wish that each one had just each one had been an hour 
or even 45 minutes, right? Expand so that you could them stop, so you could stop and, and, and make them six episodes. I would have loved that. And I feel like they could have pulled that off. They could have gone that extra mile and made a six hour movie just for me. Um, is that what's wrong with short story collections then? If you were, should people divide them up? Should the serial come back? Or well, it's just, what, what am I doing with my out, books, dude? I put, you, I just put out a book. Out. I just I put know, out a book that's like a hundred pages long, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Because if I were to write it all at once, it, it would end up being about two hundred thousand words, and nobody would read it. But I am literally releasing this thing fifteen thousand words at a time, and I'm putting, you know, about a month or two between each one to like is let this, people reset. Is this a good time to uh, pitch the last projector? It's the two hundred thousand <laughs> words, two hundred thousand word book that I wrote and you published, and yeah. sits sits there waiting for yeah. its audience to find it, yeah. waiting for its movie minded audience to finally discover it. Uh-huh. You can binge. You can binge it. Yeah, there's, that's, a like, there's, that's a binger. That's a binger. There's 30 separate stories in there. You can stop and start at any point. You right. could open it to any page and begin. I swear to you. You re- please, actually, you really please. can. You really Please can. find this book and read it. <laughs> it's very good. It's it's one of my favorite books of all time. It really is a great book, and you know we just that's why we're so grumpy because we're because so we're, we're so goddamn good and we, nobody but we're, us. But we were so stupid. We put out two hundred thousand words when we should have put out a serial. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that the time for book serials is now. It's what I'm doing anyway. It seems to be working pretty okay. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, that's a wrap. That is a wrap. I like it.